scary world. Hey, everybody. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie. I'm Sarah. And this is Dead Time Stories. Last episode. I was going to say, hopefully the last episode in this recording space. Uh, so, again, if you haven't, you know, if you're new to the show, we usually have better sound quality. Yes. Uh, currently, our studio space, the people whose home we record in, they're moving into a new space, a new home. They bought a house, Mary Angela and Eric. They're sound yeah. people. Um, <laughs> sound we're people very mean. excited for them. Uh, yes. And we're very, very excited for them. But... We have been displaced as they're in the middle of their move. So next week we will be back in our regular recording space and hopefully back to our regular sound quality. Yeah. But the content is still on fucking fire. We do this. We fucking kill it. We don't know how to be any other way. Yeah. Done. So hope you enjoy it. Yeah. I hope you do too. (laughs) Sarah, what's up? How goes it? You know the banter is always hard when we record multiple episodes. We record back to back to back? Yep. Banter, banter, banter. Witty comment here. Um, Poop joke here. Did I mention I got a promotion? I don't think you mentioned it on the show. I did, but it's bullshit. So like, don't worry I potentially will be getting a new job, like an offer, probably within the week. Ooh, yeah. kill it, girl. More money. In the city or still no, out? No, it's still out in King of Prussia. Gross. But it's, but it's a place that is, like, wants you to want to grow, and they, like, cultivate that, and I won't be having to do the work that I'm doing at my job currently that I don't like, which is recruiting. Um, it will be just office administrative, office coordinator stuff. Sure. And then it's, like, mandatory for you to do, like, training and seminars, but you choose which ones you want to go to. So, sure. like, all the women usually go to the, like, women's conference that's in Philly every year, and the company pays for it, and you, like, get the day off. So I think that's really cool. Sure. And it's a woman-owned, woman-run company. Sure. So. They're looking for more people. Maybe. <laughs> I was like, right now it's going to be a 5 to 10K bump up from what I'm making currently. That's lovely. So, yep. Fingers crossed on that one. Yeah. Air, 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 air. Living an adult life. I would love that kind of bump. Maybe we'll get that from Ma- our... From our sugar. Stephanie has really big plans for this whole sugar baby thing, which you guys, you know, only two episodes ago is when we had Liz on. Yeah, to talk about that sugar life. So more info about that sugar life will be available in our bonus content. On Patreon. On Patreon, but Stephanie's got some big plans. I do, I do. I just... I just think Sarah has so much potential. <laughs> and Liz Says said the, the same thing. Liz Listen. said the same thing. Liz was like, you could clean up. Like, you could do so well. And I was like, I know she I'm ready could. ready for my big break, you so, guys. And I'm just like, you're not doing it alone. Like, it's this partnership. I'm going to help you. I'm going to go sit in a booth on those With a fake dates. mustache. With a fake mustache on. No, I'm going to let Val wear the fake mustache. Oh, okay. We could both wear a fake mustache. What if Perfect. it was me and Val both wearing I a fake mustache? I don't think I could be serious. Sitting, just sitting a couple tables back, just keeping an eye on you, making sure you're safe. Yeah, that's all I need. Uh, I'm so excited. I am. I do have I do have big plans. Big momager plans. Big momager plans. 
Val is trying to plan food, and I'm like, you mm. just make something. Well, Val's like, I want to order, and I'm like, well, what are you gonna order? And Val's like, what do you want? And I'm like, you need to give me parameters within with which to order in. You know what I mean? You understand? That's scary. It's it is. You lived with a partner before, yeah. It's a whole thing. It's oh yeah. It's a whole thing. Anytime you're with a partner, coordinating food schedules is one of the worst parts. Yes. And I felt like for me in all of my serious relationships or with the partner that I lived with, it's like I assume that we're going to eat together and that you're going to arrange your eating schedule so that we eat together. But every fucking partner I've had is like, I was hungry, so I ate. I'm going to take care of myself. It's (laughs) It's <laughs> and I would get off work and be like, "Are you hungry?" No, I just ate like an hour ago. I uh, just got off work. You knew I was gonna be hungry. I know. Yeah, no. But now I'm the bad guy because I'm pissed that you already ate, and now I've got to figure out something just on my own. We have like a whole system, but I have to like we have to like hold each other to it. Yeah. But basically, like I make dinner, but when I make dinner, it's usually enough that it's dinner and it's lunch what? for the next day. And then Val makes breakfast and packs lunch. Like, so we both have a hand in lunch. One of us does dinner. One of us does breakfast. And we kind of like tag team lunch. That's nice. That's a good system. I've had to push about dishes, though. Where I'm like, I need more help with dishes. Because, like, I feel like I'm always forever doing fucking dishes. Can't get a dishwasher. We do. We gotta live in a place where there's a dishwasher. It's my number one stipulation when I'm looking to move. Is there a dishwasher? I'm moving into a place with a dishwasher and an in-unit washer-dryer. Got him. And a pool. Did I mention the pool? I'm excited about the pool. You didn't. I don't know if you did mention the pool. I swear I told you I got a pool. Yeah, girl, I got a pool. uh, You got that (laughs) in-ground? Yeah. Yeah, you're moving into like a condo situation, right? Yeah, it's all gated. It's fancy. It's not fancy. It feels very homey. Like, it, it, it's just really nice. It's a nice little neighborhood. You'll see. I'm hoping to be moved in by the end of this coming weekend. I like our apartment, and I like where we are in the city, but I don't like our living situation. Like, not just our weird roommate, but, like, also we have a weird neighbor. Like, you know how, you know, yeah. how Mary Angela has one of those, like, old retired people who thinks that they run the block? Yeah, we've got one of those, and he's, like, really making us fucking crazy lately. Oh, Philly, Philly, Philly. Well, there's our house banter. Yeah. Everyone's there moving. There you go. See? You're like, we can't, it's hard to do banter. I was like, oh, we got some shit we could talk about, I'm sure. I need the pooper intendant to sue somebody else. Give me something (laughs) to talk about. Or have another dude pull a stupid stunt. Oh, I, well, I texted you when this happened, but, um. Yeah, you did, but tell me again. Fuck him. Yoga man, uh, Mr. Insert Bleep Noise here, texted me last Sunday. Just bullshit stuff. And I think he was drunk. As Garbage. as they do. Garbage. As they do. Total fuck boy. I'm like, you know what? What it's Sunday. I might get a text from him today. Gross. Too. Gross. I know. I know. I know. Yeah, so, no. We're gonna get men so, who yeah. literally pay for your time. <laughs> Yoga homeboy slid into my text messages on Sunday. So there's my update there. Men are still garbage, but now I'm gonna make them pay. To spend time with me. Unless I really like them. 
There's a few that I really like. Anyways, Stephanie. Uh, house banter. Houses. Living. That's a whole thing. We're living our lives. That's what we're doing. Speaking living of the dreaming. Dream. How about those dead folks? Sarah. Stephanie. Y'all ready, ready to, to talk, talk about, about some ghosts? Talk about those dead folks. I'm really good at segues, if you hadn't noticed. So I'm good. so good at that. My balance is off, so segues are hard. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's kind of long. Mine is kind of long. Oh no. It's not terribly long. Should we have alternated? Should we, yeah, I was like, should we have checked before we recorded last week's shorty with Probably. this week's long? Week? <laughs> um, I'll go first. Let's okay. feel it out. Let's feel it out. Sarah, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Ouija boards. Because I can't get you to do one with no, me. No, you sure can't. <laughs> Sometimes people call it a spirit board or a talking board. Um, you're all familiar with a Ouija board. You can buy one now, I think, from Parker Brothers. Oh, yeah. Because, um, <laughs> you know, you can buy it in the store. But a Ouija board, if you are not familiar, but I'm sure you are, spelled O-U-I-J-A. What are you looking at? I'm so sorry. Nothing. Oh, oh I'm just staring. <laughs> sorry. I was like, what is no, it? I'm literally oh just God, staring off my face and listening. Sorry. So Ouija board. It was like, oh, <laughs> that's your on and off oh light God. bulb uh, in this space. Right. That oh, I had a marriage. I, yeah. Well, I can't. When people, when I feel like people are staring at something, I'm like, what is it? Um, <laughs> the ghost. So, so a Ouija board, it's, it's flat. It usually has like, you know, an alphabet on it, a yes, a no, and a goodbye. Excuse me, a hello and a goodbye. And numbers, zero through nine. And usually you use what's called a planchette. It's a little heart-shaped piece that has a little clear hole so you can see the message that's coming to you through the Ouija board from the spirits or whomever is there. Demons. It's always demons. Uh, participants place their fingers on the planchette and it's moved and about the board to spell out words. Ouija was formerly a trademark belonging to Parker Brothers. Mm-hmm. And has subsequently become a trademark of Hasbro, Inc., in the United States. But it's often used generically to refer to any talking board. According to Hasbro, players take turns asking questions and then wait to see what the planchette spells out for them. It's recommended for players over the age of eight. Following the commercial introduction... Demon portals to children. (laughs) By businessman Elijah Bond in in 1890, the Ouija board was regarded as a parlor game unrelated to the occult until American spiritualist Pearl Curran popularized its use as a divining tool during World War I. Spiritualists claim that the dead were able to contact the living and reportedly use the talking board very similar to a modern Ouija board at their camps in Ohio in 1886 to ostensibly enable faster communication with the spirits. The Catholic Church and other Christian denominations have warned against using Ouija boards. Oh, yeah. That's you're immediately, you're going to get possessed. You don't fuck with witchcraft and you don't read Harry Potter. That they can lend to demonic possession. Yes. Occultists, on the other hand, are divided on the issue, with some saying that it can be a positive transformation. Others reiterate the warnings of many Christians and caution inexperienced users against it. That would be me. Paranormal and supernatural beliefs associated with Ouija have been harshly criticized by the scientific community since they're characterized as pseudoscience. The action of the board can be parsimoniously explained by the unconscious movements of those controlling the pointer, a psychophysiological phenomenon known as the ideomotor effect. So 
a little bit of the history about the Ouija board. One of the first mentions of the automatic writing method used in the Ouija board is found in China in 1100 AD in historical documents of the Song Dynasty. The method was known as Fuji, planchette writing. The use of planchette writing as an ostensible means of necromancy and communion with the spirit world continued, and albeit under special rituals and supervisions, was a central practice of the Quanzin school until it was forbidden by the Qing dynasty. Because someone got possessed. Several entire scriptures of the Daozang are <laughs> supposedly works of automatic planchette writing. According to one author, similar methods of medium uh, of mediumistic spirit writing have been practiced in ancient India, Greece, Rome, and medieval Europe. As part of the spiritualist movement, mediums began to employ various means for communication with the dead. Following the American Civil War in the United States, which we've talked about how because the sheer number of Americans that died and people lost, people fought people on the other yeah. side or people didn't know what happened to people that they loved, yeah. that America became very fascinated with death and the dead and spirits during that time, uh, during the Civil War in the United States. So mediums did significant business and uh, presumably allowing survivors to contact lost relatives. The Ouija itself was created and named in Baltimore, Maryland in 1890, but the use of talking boards was so common by 1886 that news reported the phenomenon taking over the spiritualist camps in Ohio. It became like a commercial parlor game Hmm. when businessman Elijah Bond had the idea to patent a planchette sold with the board on which the alphabet was printed, much like the previously existing talking boards. The patentees filed on May 28, 1890 for patent protection and thus are credited with the invention of the Ouija board. Issue date on the patent was February 10, 1891. Bond was an attorney and was an inventor of other objects in addition to this device. An employee of Elijah Bond, William Fold, took over the talking board production and in 1901, Fold started production of his own boards under the name Ouija. Charles Kennard, founder of the Kennard Novelty Company, which manufactured Fold's talking boards and where Fold had worked as a varnisher, claimed he learned the name Ouija by using the board and that it was an ancient Egyptian word meaning good luck. No. When Fold took over the production of the boards, he popularized the more widely accepted etymology that the name came from a combination of the French and German words for yes. For like we and yeah. A demon made the board. That's why they're like, it's all, it's named Ouija board, which is good. It means yes. It means let me in. The soul. The fold name became synonymous with the Ouija board as fold reinvented its history, claiming that he himself had invented it. Oh my God. The strange talk about the boards from fold's competitors flooded the market and all these boards enjoyed a heyday from the 1920s on. Yeah. They've, I've seen a glow-in-the-dark one. Yeah, they've never really lost popularity, like, oddly Why enough. would you do that in the dark? So there has been scientific investigation into the use of Ouija boards. The Ouija phenomenon is considered by the scientific community to be a result of ideomotor response. Ideomotor response is a, a physiological phenomenon wherein a subject makes motions unconsciously. Mm-hmm. So they're not really thinking about it, and it just kind of, like, happens. Yeah. There used to be this little magic trick that I knew in, uh, I still, I mean, I still know it, in middle school, where I would have people, like, hold their fingers a certain way, and they would do this, and I would do this little motion. Mm-hmm. And they're not thinking about it. Their fingers are doing this. 
But then they kind of, they don't realize they're kind of going along with it because they're seeing this, that they're thinking like, oh my God, you're making my fingers come together. Yeah. But they kind of just happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it was like, ooh, magic. magic. Um, Michael Faraday first described this effect in 1853 while investigating table turning. Various studies have been, produ- uh, have been produced recreating the effects of the Ouija board in the lab and showing that under laboratory conditions, the subjects were moving the planchette involuntarily. A, 20 to- a 2012 study found that when answering yes or no questions, Ouija use was significantly more accurate than guesswork, suggesting that it might draw on the unconscious mind. Skeptics have described Ouija board users as operators. Some critics noted that the messages ostensibly spelled out by spirits were similar to whatever was going through the mind of the subject. Mm. According to the professor of neurology, Terrence Hines, in his book, Pseudoscience and the Paranormal, the planchette is guided by unconscious muscular extertion, I can't even fucking talk today, exertions like those responsible for table movement. Nonetheless, in both cases, the illusion that the object, the table or the planchette, is moving under its own control is often extremely powerful and sufficient to convince many people that spirits are truly at work. So I equate it to what you were talking about um, in the previous episode with the Berenstain Bears where people are equally misinformed like they have the same misinformation so they are convinced that it's a confirmation when somebody else says that they have the same experience the unconscious muscle movements responsible for the moving tables and ouija board phenomena seen as seances are examples of a class of phenomena due to what psychologists call a dissociative state a dissociative state is one in which consciousness is somehow divided or cut off from some aspects of the individual's normal cognitive, motor, or sensory functions. Ouija boards were already criticized by scholars early on, being described in 1927 as vestigial remains of primitive belief systems <laughs> and a con to part fools from their money. <laughs> oh, definitely. Another 1921 journal described reports of Ouija board findings as half-truths, and suggested that their inclusion in national newspapers at the time lowered the national discourse overall. (laughs) In the 1970s, Ouija board users were also described as cult members by sociologists, though this was severely scrutinized in the field. The last thing I'm going to talk about is religious responses. So since early in the Ouija board's history, it has been criticized by several Christian denominations. Really? I never would have guessed. (laughs) For example, Catholic Answers, a Roman Catholic Christian apologetics organization, states that the Ouija board is far from harmless and it is a form of divination seeking information from supernatural sources. Moreover, Catholic Christian bishops in Micronesia called for the boards to be banned and warned congregations that they were using talking to, warned congregations that they were talking to demons when using Ouija boards. In a pastoral letter, the Dutch Reformed churches encouraged its its communicants to avoid Ouija boards as it was a practice related to the occult. The Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod also forbids its faithful from using Ouija boards as it teaches that such would be a violation of the Ten Commandments. In 2001, Ouija boards were burned in Almogordo, New Mexico by fundamentalist groups alongside the Harry Potter books as symbols of witchcraft. (laughs) Religious criticism has also expressed beliefs that the Ouija board reveals information which should only be in God's hands and thus is a tool of Satan. A spokesperson for Human Life International described the boards as a 
portal to talk to spirits and called for Hasbro to be prohibited from marketing them. These religious objections to the use of the Ouija board have in turn given rise to the Ascension type folklore in the communities where they circulate. Cautionary tales that the board opens a door to evil spirits turn the game into the subject of supernatural dare, especially for young people. Um, Dare you to get possessed. (laughs) They're popular in a lot of um, fiction. Oh, yeah. People love to use them, like, in horror movies. People love to tell ghost stories about them. The only really famous, like, notable person who was really into them is Aleister Crowley. Are you familiar with him? That sounds really familiar. Um, he was an English occultist. Um, he, he was a guy. He led, like, a, like, a cult, um, but also was, like, really into, like, pagan stuff and, like, being a spiritual, like, witchcraft leader. And he wrote a really famous, like, witchcraft book. Um, Aleister Crowley had great admiration for the use of the Ouija board, and it played a passing role in his magical workings. Jane Wolfe, who lived with Crowley at Abbey of Thelema, which is a religion he created, Thelema, also used the Ouija board. She credits some of her greatest spiritual communications to use of this implement. (laughs) Crowley also discussed the Ouija board with another of his students, and the most ardent of them, Freder Arcad, whose um, legal name was Charles Stansfeld Jones, <laughs> is frequently mentioned in their unpublished letters. In 1917, Arcad experimented with the board as a means of summoning angels as opposed to elementals. In one letter, Crowley told Jones, your Ouija board experiment is rather fun. You see how very satisfactory it is. But I believe things improve greatly with practice. I think you should keep to one angel and make the magical preparations more elaborate. Um... Just one angel. Just the one. Um, But they were both really, really fascinated with it, and they wrote about it a lot to each other, uh, and the things that they experienced or felt that they had learned from using the Ouija board. And they didn't get possessed? Well, that depends on who you ask. So, Uh, I mean, they would dabble in... So they also did a lot of drugs, you know? Sure. So they would, as you do. So they would say it was more akin to like a drug experience that, like you know, maybe they were possessed like for the night and they woke up with like a weird hangover from their possession from their drugs. Um, of course, some people who are super Christian and were against them would be like, yeah, they were clearly possessed by the devil. So <laughs> I guess it kind of depends on who you ask. Um, but yeah, I mean they. You know, did their thing. They seemed fine. <laughs> they seemed fine. How did Aleister uh, Crowley end up dying? I'll probably do a whole episode about him, so let's not get too far into it. Okay. But he was a he was a fucking guy. <laughs> he was a fucking guy. How did he die? He died at the age of seventy two, so the natural cause. He couldn't yeah, I was like he couldn't have gone out bad. You know, it's whatevs. But whatever. Doesn't matter. Sarah, what are you talking so about? That's the this Ouija week? board that I'm never gonna touch. That's the Ouija board. It's Ouija all. Ouija board. I don't know. It depends. Yeah, it depends entirely on your faith and what you believe in. Yeah. But I'm a very skeptical person, and I. But I know tons of skeptical people who are not religious who also don't fuck with the Ouija board. Yeah. No. It's more along the lines of like you know. 
why, why tempt it? Why take? Yeah, why? Why even go for it? As like, I also don't walk into haunted houses being like, you know, <sighs> hey demons, it's me, your girl. I told you after you talked about the elevator game that I was like obsessed with it for a while, yes. right? Like I kept googling and reading everything I could yes. about it, and I was like, I'm not normally this person who wants like tempt fate, but I'm so curious. No. But I never did it. I didn't do it. I haven't played the elevator game. Please don't. I don't, I don't need that girl haunting my life. Because I'm... Because you know, I brought her back with me. With yes! <laughs> yes! <sighs> so this week... Well, actually, before I jump in, I do want to take a quick second to have a promo. Oh, we have a promo this week. Yeah, we're going to jump into throwing some promos in for our friends again. So, real fast, our favorite siblings. If you have not gone and checked out Two Scared Siblings, you're really missing out. Um, They have great stories, great banter. So, give them a listen. Take it away, you guys. Hello. Hello. We're Two Scared Siblings. I'm Andrea. I'm Ren. And we talk about all horror things. So. Yeah, I said that really salesman corny. <laughs> yeah. I'm Ren. And yeah. buy this car. Why, hello there, <laughs> folks. <laughs> Come check um, out our horror podcast. And there's a lot of this crap, too. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of this crap. We do this. But everything horror. So true crime, ghost stories. Like a lot of ghost stories. Conspiracies, I don't know, gross diseases. Everything. All, like actual fictional stories and like media critiques in the horror genre. Anything that's Everything horrible. Horror. So if you like horrible yep. shit, come listen to us. Yeah, and you can email us too. We do audience participation at twoscaredsiblings at gmail.com. So like you might be featured on an episode. So yeah, all things yeah. horror. Check us out. Bye. We love you. Bye. Mwah. Mwah. Their promo always makes me smile. Their show makes me smile. They make me smile. Two scared siblings. Two scared siblings. Siblings. So go check them out. Yes. Back onto what I'm talking about. Sarah, what are you talking about this week? This week, I'm going to tell you about the disappearance of Susan Powell. Ooh. Does that sound familiar? It's like been in the media... I don't know, Still but I, um, I love that you were worried last week that that's what I was going to talk about. I was, because it literally, if you Google it, it is the disappearance of Susan Powell. So when you said, I'm going to talk about the disappearance You're of... You're like, oh no! I was like, no! All right, so December 7th, 2009, Susan... Nine, 2009, Susan Powell, mother of two, was declared missing. To this day, she has never been found. Before her disappearance, Susan created a secret will that included the statements, I want it documented that there is extreme turmoil in our marriage, and if I die, it may not be an accident, even if it looks like one. Damn, Susan! Her husband was never charged with her murder. Of course not, because they never found a body or nothing. Shit, Susan... So I'm Susan, so sorry. Susan Cox was attending uh, an LDS Institute of Religion course. So this is, a Mormon, this is yep. a Mormon family. And that's when she met Joshua Powell, who was also taking the class. The two began a relationship and were married less than a year later. Um, the Mormons don't play around. They really don't. I read somewhere that like two months into them dating, they got engaged. Oh, yeah. So Josh. How old were they? 
Like 18? No. No. They were in their 20s. She, she was 28 when oh, she so disappeared. Oh, so she was like a spinster. So she was... <laughs> in she the was Mormon 20, church. No, she was 28 when she disappeared. She was probably like 24, 25 when they got married. Yeah, she was... Right? So young, but not straight out of high school. Right. Right? So background on Josh. Josh grew up in the LDS church and his parents had a very dysfunctional relationship, ultimately divorcing. Mm-hmm. And that was due to the contention between Josh's father, Stephen, and the mother, and the fact that Stephen didn't want anything to do with the church, the Mormon church. He also apparently had a porn addiction. Oh, uh, you know yeah. What? No, it's not apparently, it's known. He had he a did. porn addiction, and he allegedly shared that porn with his sons. Including Josh. Josh, apparently, as a teenager, he killed gerbils that belonged to his sister. Oh, Christ. Threatened his mother with a butcher knife and attempted suicide at least once. Jesus Christ. So he's a real catch. Real catch. Right after they got married, Susan and Josh had to live with Josh's father, Stephen. Unbeknownst to Susan at the time, her father-in-law, Stephen, had developed an obsessive crush on her. Oh, God. He would take pictures of her without her knowing. He used a small mirror to spy on her in the bathroom without her knowing. He would steal her underwear and bras from the laundry. He uploaded videos online of him, like, sniffing her underwear from the laundry. Jesus Christ. He considered himself a musician, and he posted songs online written anonymously about her, Susan. Yeah. And she didn't know any of this outright until one day he, like, made an advance towards her, and she was like, no, no. You're cre- no, that's a hard no. Like, you're creeping me out. Right. And she finally was able to talk Josh into leaving. And so they moved away and they moved to Utah. And she was like, your your dad creeps me the fuck out. He came on to me. I, I don't want you to have any contact with him. Like, we need to move away. Yeah. And at first, Josh was like, okay. And they moved away. But it doesn't stay that way for long. <sighs> so they move to Utah. They have two children. And in 2009, the kids were five years old and two years old. On the morning of December 6, 2009, Susan and the two children went and attended church services and had a neighbor come by who ultimately left the house at five o'clock. And that was the last time that she was seen. Um, the entire family was reported missing on December 7th, the next day by relatives when they got a call from the daycare saying the kids haven't been dropped off. And so Josh's mother and sister went over to the house and didn't see the family at the house. And so they declared the entire family missing. The police came over. The police broke into the house, fearing that maybe the family had died from carbon monoxide or that something happened. So the police get, get inside, and they find no one inside. But they do find two box fans set up blowing a wet, freshly cleaned couch in the house. 
Susan did not show up at her job, and when they, when the police investigated the house, they did find her purse, her wallet, and her identification all still in the home. After 5 o'clock on December 7th, after the police have investigated the house, they don't know where the family is, Josh comes driving up with the two kids in the van to the house, and the police are like, cool, we have some questions. Where's your wife? We have questions. So they took him in for questioning. And what he said was that he had left Susan at home the night of the 6th, and he had taken the boys to go out camping, but he, when he left her at home, she was asleep because they left at midnight. And he took the boys out camping um, at this place called Simpson Springs, and the reason why he didn't call into work or let his boss know he was going to go camping is because he just totally got his days mixed up, and he thought that it was Sunday when it was actually Monday. And so he got it mixed up and he doesn't know where his wife is. She's not here. That's oh, weird. Fuck. What the fuck? And the police are like, Sarah. That doesn't add up, but I guess you can go. Because the they police don't have even, anything. They have no evidence yet. So the police let him go back home and they go back to investigate the, the house on December 9th. And at that point, they do find traces of Susan's blood on the floor. And they find handwritten notes from Susan because she kept a journal expressing the fear for her life and the turmoil in her marriage. They found the written secret will. And they found life insurance policies on Susan that totaled up to $1.5 million dollars. Um, the blood sample in 2013, it was released that DNA proved that it was Susan's blood. And there was another sample that was determined to have come from an unknown male contributor. So the police did not bring Josh in on charges. They stayed skeptical of him. They thought it was really weird that he didn't seem upset by her disappearance he seemed to be very calculated on what he was doing next, so he immediately liquidated her retirement accounts, canceled her like regular chiropractic sessions, and withdrew the kids from the daycare. Um, and not too long, I want to say it was a month or two months after her disappearance, he took the kids and he moved back to Washington State to where his dad was. So he left two months after his wife disappeared. He left the area that she disappeared from. So all looks, it's all super sketchy. Yeah. And according to his co-workers, he had also previously spoken about how easy it would be to hide a body in Utah. Cool, 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 cool. So police interviewed the family's oldest son, Charlie, who was five, who did confirm that they did go camping, like the dad said. And Charlie said, we did go camping, but mom came with us, but she didn't come back. Mm. And a few weeks after her disappearance, a teacher reported that Charlie had said that his mother was dead. And furthermore, um, Susan's parents, who were taking care of the kids, 
claimed for a little while, claimed that at daycare, just a month later, the youngest child drew a picture of a van with three people in it and told the daycare carers that mommy was in the trunk. So, they still don't go arrest the dad. He moves... Yep, it happened in January. So December, beginning of December, she goes missing. Beginning of January, he packs up the family and moves to where his dad is. Packs up the kids. And that's because uh, the investigators were starting to crack down a little bit more. And he was doing... Josh was going out and doing local TV spots. You can look up and see all the footage of him talking to the media outlets. And the police were planning to... uh, The police had subpoenaed all of the footage and interviews that he had done. Um, And the police were saying that he was growing incredibly uncooperative. And in January, he packed up the family and he moved. And he lived in a home with his father, Stephen, who we remember... As being a fucking creepo. Creepo, creepo, creepo. Now, it's interesting because not long after he moved, this website showed up online called SusanPowell.org. And it had a lot of interesting entries, all posted by Anonymous, but that all defended Josh as the victim of a smear campaign by Susan's family and the LDS church. It also had entries saying that Susan ran away with some other man to Brazil and that she had a mental illness and that that's what led to her running away and that she was a sexual deviant and she ran off and ran to Brazil. Everyone thinks that Josh and his brother Michael and probably Stephen are the the people who made the website. So... The investigator's scrutiny then extended to the dad, Stephen. So they're still looking into this, even though he moved. Once they learned from a family friend that Stephen had been obsessed with Susan, they were like, oh, let's investigate this guy. And they found a little more than they intended. Um, when they seized his computer in 2010, They got 4,500 images of Susan taken without her knowledge, including close-ups of specific body parts. And then they also found other pictures of children, and he got put in prison on child pornography charges. Jesus. So he he got put away on the pornography charges and at this time Susan's parents were fighting for custody of the kids and Susan's parents were like we we want to have custody and after Stephen was arrested on child pornography charges the Washington court granted the grandparents temporary custody of the boys, saying that Josh would have to move out of Stephen's home if he wanted to regain custody of the boys. Yeah. Right? Because Josh was also being looked into for child pornography because he was living with his dad. And so at that time, 
he said he rented a house in South Hill, Washington, and he was seeing like a therapist who said, the therapist will be another thing. Um, so at this time, he said he moved out of his dad's house. He rented this other house to make it appear as if he had satisfied the court's instructions. However, he did continue to reside in his father's home. He never left his father's house. So he's underwent the series of court-ordered evaluations in Washington to get his custody back. And they said that because he had adequate parenting skills, a steady employment history, and no criminal record or history of domestic violence, that he would still get visitation. However, what was this? The, the initial recommendation was for him to have visitation with his son several times a week, supervised by a social worker. I'm trying to decide which other order because there's still so much in here. So that was 2011. He was granted that partial visitation. Yeah. In the last week of January of 2012, the police discovered 400 images of simulated child pornography, bestiality, and incest on Joshua's computer. Surprise, surprise. But the images, while not illegal due to them being hand-drawn yeah, or so cartoonish, they, they were cause for great concern to the police and to the uh, psychiatrist. He was recommended to receive a more thorough psychosexual evaluation and polygraph, but the therapist suggested no change in the visitation schedule Jesus with the boys. Christ. Here's where it takes another turn. On February 5th, 2011, social worker Elizabeth Hall called 911 after bringing the two boys to visit Joshua at the house in South Hill, which it's the house that he said he was renting. Hall, who was supposed to monitor the visit between the boys, called the police because Joshua grabbed the boys when she showed up to the house and locked her out and barricaded himself and his sons in the home. She called 911 saying that he had done that, and she also thought she smelled the faint smell of gasoline. Shortly thereafter, the home exploded, killing both Joshua and the two boys. Oh my god. Autopsies showed that they the official cause of death for Josh and the boys was determined to be carbon monoxide poisoning. Although, the coroner did note that both children had significant chopping injuries on their head and neck, and a hatchet was recovered near Joshua's body, and investigators believe that he attacked the boys with it before being overwhelmed by smoke and fumes. Jesus Christ. There's a lot more, too, to this story, including the fact that when the authorities notified Stephen, his dad, in jail, he didn't seem surprised by the news. Joshua had, moments before the visitation, sent out, like, goodbye emails and letters to, like, relatives. Stephen then, while in the... while in prison, 
invoked his Fifth Amendment right, Fifth Amendment right not to answer any questions about the case, and he kept his mouth shut until he died in 2017, and never. And mo- a lot of people, Susan's family, believe that he knows exactly what happened to her. Oh, of course. The other interesting point is Josh's brother, Michael. So when the police were investigating the dad, Stephen, for the child porn, they also noticed that Michael Powell had sold his broken down Ford Taurus to a wrecking yard in Oregon shortly after Susan's disappearance. And when police found the car, a sniffer dog indicated that a decomposing human body had been in the trunk. DNA tests on the car proved inconclusive. So a lot of people think that Michael disposed of the body, helped him dispose of the body. And right before Joshua killed himself and his sons, he made Michael like the heir, the person to get everything for him and the boys. Now, that happened in 2000. He was named as the main beneficiary. Yes, absolutely. So after that happened, in February of 2013, just one year after Josh and his sons died, Michael, his brother, killed himself. He had been fighting with Susan's family over the benefits from the children and everything, including the life insurance policy. And they think that he just couldn't take it anymore. And he jumped from the roof of a parking garage at the graduate school that he was going to and killed himself. Jesus Christ. Authorities believe that Josh and Michael were accomplices in the murder of Susan. As of May 21st, 2013, the West Valley City Police announced that they had closed the active investigation into Susan's disappearance. They largely, everyone definitely believes that Joshua killed her. Yeah. Um, However, we can't say for sure because he was never actually charged and they never found her body and to this day they never found her body stephen powell was released from prison july of 2017 he served his total of seven years for voyeurism and child pornography and he got to die of natural natural causes last year july 23rd of 2018 fuck that susan remains a missing person but everyone widely believes that she was murdered by her husband. And as of March of 2018, the there are still calls asking to have her declared dead. And then there's, in December of 2000, 2018, there was an investigation discovery about it. And just in May of this year, Oxygen premiered a new documentary, a two-night special, The Disappearance of Susan Cox Powell, Um, That includes more information and also includes Josh Powell's sister, Alina, speaking publicly about the situation and everything. So that's the disappearance and murder of Susan Powell and the subsequent murder-suicide of Josh Powell and those two babies. Two children. Those two babies. Jesus Christ. I think the most chilling part to me about that story is the fact that he attacked them with a hatchet before... 
blowing the house up. It's horrible. Everything you about that is horrible. Yes. And they've never, they don't have a body. That's awful. I hate all of it. Thanks, I hate it. You're welcome. That was terrible. Welcome to Dead Time Stories. We're it's, back! We're back! It's not fun dream daddies all the time. You gotta pay for that shit. You gotta pay for that. You get this for free. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. Dude, there's so much more to the Susan Powell story, too, that I didn't even dip into. But, yeah, it's really fucked up. So, damn. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. That was a lot. If you want to support this show... <laughs> If you want to keep hearing stories like this, um, of course, you should subscribe to our Patreon. <laughs> we have rewards at as low as $1 a month. Sarah, what have you done? I brought it back. Good old taste of old-fashioned dead time stories. Of course, other ways that you can support us, not just our show. We do other art. Sarah's show is coming in just a few weeks now. Yeah. That's the Insanity of Mary Gerard. That's playing at Allen's Lane here in Philadelphia. Yeah. I have my book out, Bad Sex and Other Problematic Analogies. It's available on Amazon, either via Kindle or in paperback. And, of course, you have our Patreon, which I already said you can subscribe for as little as $1 a month, but that gets you bonus content already. And, of course, the free ways that you can support us and our show are by writing reviews for us, giving us five stars anywhere that you possibly can. And if you can take a screenshot of that review and email it to us at deadtimestories, all one word, with a Z, at gmail.com, we'll send you a sticker, you son of a bitch. Yeah, we will. You know what we haven't had in a long time? A sticker. A ghost stick. Oh, I know. We haven't had a ghost stick. We haven't asked for a ghost stick in a long time. I would I would, I would, always love a ghost stick. Send us your ghost sticks. Um, for those of you new to the show, a ghost stick is a dick only if it's dressed up as a ghost. Preferably with like a Kleenex and googly eyes. Googly eyes preferred. But uh, if you want to dress your dick up as a ghost and then send us a picture of it. We're into it. We are so into it. It's the only time you will get a solicited Like we'll pic. ask for a dick pic, You're but only if it's it. dressed up as a ghost. Get us those ghost dicks. Get us ghost dicks. And give us your money. Always. Give us all the money. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for listening. I'm Stephanie. I'm Sarah. And this has been Dead Time Stories. Bye. Bye. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Curtison. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman. 